0: Wow, what a tough act to follow, let me tell you. It became my lot. I think that we could just have a benediction and go home blessed and refreshed and renewed in the Lord. This is amazing. Thank you for being here on Mother's Day, and thank you for being a mother. And I especially say that to those online that are joining us. Perhaps you're not able to be here. Thank you so much for being a faithful mother. As Sam said, in 2020, Sam asked me to bring the Mother's Day sermon, and, and I was so excited and pleased, but if you remember at Mother's Day in 2020, we were in the pandemic, and there were eight people in this room. And I'm, I'm just what you did is what I'm used to. There's there's interaction, there's sighs, groans, laughter, and, and participations, perhaps an amen here and there. So, I was in this room, and there was these bright lights, and one light back there, and I couldn't. There was chairs, just chairs. And so I said something that wasn't intended to be a joke, but it kind of came across funny, and someone over here laughed, and it startled me. I didn't even know. Them. <laughs> I thought I was here alone. <laughs> but that was that was good. At, at that time, my mother was alive; and she was able to live at home. She was 90 years old, and um, she certainly enjoyed getting to see her little boy preach, okay. Mom was always great to keep me humble. I would go there and mom would fix, she was a a true southern lady, she could cook a fantastic meal in a short amount of time and right before we were ready to eat she would say go wash your little hands. I said, mom, I'm 55 years old, I own my own business, I'm a church elder, don't tell me to wash my little hands. And she wouldn't look up. She would just keep going into preparation. And she said, okay, honey, go wash your little hands. <laughs> you, couldn't get away, you couldn't get away from it. You just couldn't get away from it. <clears throat> so as Mother's Day in 2022 approached, my mother had passed away in February on the 22nd in 2022. So now put those numbers together. 2-2-22. And as mom was passing, a godly nurse there in the facility said, if she's going to make it, she better hurry. <laughs> and she did. It was 11.30 p.m. And mom passed on 2-22-22. Now, my mother would have been pleased to have known that because she was quirky that way. She had a real sense of humor in the in the in the uh, dining room of our of her house. And this is a house that she and my father built, started in 1950, and that was the house that she, the only house she ever lived in after she and Dad f- completed it. And in that a corner of the dining dining room, there was an old washstand, and in this old washstand. It had different types of little containers. And one of them, it looked like a a soap dish or something. You could take the lid off of it, and Mom always had it full of pennies. And this is to show you how quirky and funny her personality was. I opened it after Mom passed, just absentmindedly took the lid off, and it said, there was a note that says, caught you. That was the type of lady that she was. <clears throat> so as Mother's Day approached in 2022, I was, Sam had asked me to preach again. And I was so excited. I got to tell this life story of my mother and how she influenced me growing up. Um, and on Friday night, I started feeling just not quite right. And a little later, oh, you get that feeling where, yeah, I got a fever. I know i got a fever. So I took it, and it was 101. And I knew I had to call Sam and Doug. Because if I showed up here with 101 fever, they would have beat me to death. (laughs) So I gave them a call and let them know, and I was was sorely disappointed. I really was. It it was just a disappointment. So... Mom would have been very pleased, though, nonetheless. So now, this morning, Sam read those passages from Proverbs chapter 2, 1 through 15. And you may be sitting here this morning in Mother's Day service, 2023, and you're thinking, those are a little odd for a Mother's Day sermon. But let me tell you, they're really not. Those were the words that of wisdom given to us to use to train, teach, and motivate our children to be godly. And if you read those passages, you will see that there is a great parallel to the book of James, where James encourages us, if we lack wisdom, ask for it. It's available to us. So, what I'm intending to do today, and if you still got your finger there in Proverbs, we're going to look at a couple other verses really quickly that will relate. In chapter 3 and chapter 4, if we look at the beginning, first verse of chapter 4, it says, and I'll give you a moment to get there, Hear, O sons of Father's instruction, and become attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts to do, to, excuse me, do not forsake my teaching. Now, if your Bible looks like mine, that's on the right-hand column. Over on the left-hand column in chapter 3, if you look at verse 21, it says, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. There is goodness to be learned from the word of the Lord and it it has been repeated here for us to embrace that repetition as importance. We understand that that's what the message is for us to grasp the word of the Lord. And mothers... I encourage you to teach. In 2021, I brought the sermon with the emphasis on teach, train and model. Teach, train and model, and I went back to the example of Timothy's mother and grandmother. How they taught him, trained him and modeled what they were teaching. Today we're going to we're going to parallel that, but we're going to kind of take it in a little bit different direction. But first, I want to paint a word picture for you. I want to paint a word picture for you of this woman who was my mother, who became a pastor's wife, the preparation through and during her life that prepared her for that important mission of being a pastor's wife. So... Let me give you an idea of how important all this is. The title of my sermon this morning is The Living Testimony of My Godly Mother. The Living Testimony. And you might ask why the words living testimony your mom has passed. That's true, but guess what? Her teaching goes on. Her teaching goes on because it was based on God's Word. God's Word is eternal. It's always good for training, teaching, modeling, showing, ex- exhorting those to follow God's Word. Because why? It's good for us. It's like, Fred, wash your little hands, okay? It's a good thing. <clears throat> because her testimony continues to grow and influence fur- further future generations. God willing, many future generations. Let me give you an example. She and my father had three children. They in turn had seven children. Those seven children had 13 children. And if you do a simple math, that is a total of 23. 23 that have been somewhat influenced by the godly life of my mother. Now, if we look forward in generations God willing, and He stays His coming, there will be many generations continually impacted by my godly mother. Okay? The word of the Lord never returns void. Psalm 119.7 says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 says, These words, Jess and Jesse, I'm looking at y'all. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise Amen. so is it important you betcha you betcha it's important here's the point what's the point fred the point is heart attitudes are shaped heart attitudes are shaped we'll repeat that theme a little bit further along <clears throat> was that without this type of guidance self interest terminates On self. And self-interest that terminates on self is always wrong. It's always wrong. However, self-interest that terminates on Jesus, that terminates on Christ, is always right. Self-interest that terminates on Christ is trained into our youth. We look at the world around us and a culture that is obviously crumbling. And we say, and wring our hands and admire the problem. But what's the solution? The solution is teach, train, and model. The solution is guide them toward Christ. The solution is to live a life that represents what the scripture says and what we're saying, Okay. <clears throat> Proverbs 4, excuse me, Proverbs 3, 21 and 22. My son, do not lose sight of, these sound, of sound wisdom and discretion, for they will be life for your soul and an adornment for your neck. Again, that's a repetition of the verse that we read a few minutes ago. In 4, 2 through 7, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. Her is wisdom. And she will keep you, love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. These words are true. So there's three first place principles that I want to kind of zero in on this morning. Those three first place principles are taken primarily from the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6.33, all of you all should go, yeah, I know Matthew 6.33. What does it say? Matthew 6.33. (laughs) But seek first the kingdom of God. I thought all these middle schoolers would chime in. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The second one is Matthew 7, 12. We call it the golden rule. So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The third first place principle is called the rule of the wise man. Or the godly life. Or be like the wise man. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. On the rock. With these first place principles, my mother prepared my heart to receive more godly instruction. Once these principles are in place, then it becomes easier for them to be built upon. More principles in place implies more principles coming. And more principles coming directs a life to be more godly, directs and molds and shapes the heart attitude of your children to be where God would have them to be, preparing them later. Again, emphasis, heart attitudes are shaped. They are shaped. All right, so let's begin Now the time starts. That was just the introduction. (laughs) We all come from somewhere. We all come from somewhere. A lot of times, most uh, people don't really care. But I do. I've always wanted to know, how did I get here? Where did I come from? So let me give you some insight into my mother's background. There are many hearing this story of my upbringing, and they can't really relate because their early years were not like mine. You may not have come from a Christian home. My father was a pastor for 57 years. Uh, I'm a PK. I'm I'm the middle child in the of a PK. So man, you talk about two strikes, almost three, and I'm out. (laughs) Not really. Not really. So if you were not raised in a Christian home, and perhaps you came from a dysfunctional family, a family with issues, a family that never quite seemed to get it right, you always compared yourself to those other people, and everything looked like lollipops and and rainbows for them, and you don't relate to, to what I'm saying. God heals the brokenhearted. He binds the wounds of those who are wounded. We can trust in Him. People are imperfect. They always will be. Christ is able to redeem your past and to establish you now by the power, by the power that is available to us from His Word. He speaks to us from His Word. So let's begin this short introduction of who my mother was and where she came from. She, my mother was born on October the 31st, 1929. She loved to say she brought the Great Depression. <laughs> and if you're too young in here to know about the Great Depression, just hang around. We're about to experience it again. <clears throat> she was born the middle child of five She had an older brother and sister and a younger sister and brother, so she was right in the middle there. They were a large family living in the hills of Virginia, about 35 miles northeast of Bristol in Smith County, Virginia, along the I-81 corridor beside of the Holston River. The Holston River originates in the county that I was born in. river you see up here on I-40 when you cross into, into the city of Knoxville is about that wide in the county I grew up in. So, some of you are familiar with the Virginia Creeper Trail. Got any Creeper Trail people in here? All right, yeah, there you go. Or the Mount Rogers National Recreation Area. Uh, perhaps the Barter Theater in Abingdon, Virginia, the State Theater of Virginia. My mother's mother, my grandmother, came from a neighboring county about 25 miles east. And she came to Smith County to be a domestic servant. She was 16 years old. There was a family that owned a large farm. The owner was a doctor in town, small town, 2,500 people at tops. And she came to be a domestic servant for these folks. Well, there was a young man who lived nearby that had to ride his horse past that farm when he went to town. And amazingly, his horse always seemed to be thirsty at that spot. (laughs) And he would stop and water his mount, and he would catch glimpses of this pretty young domestic servant who's taking care of these people and their children and that became my grandmother. And she had been raised in a neighboring county by a pastor's and his wife who took her her family in because the parents had died. See how this all comes together? This is God's divine providence. How He brings together things to accomplish His will that we may not understand and we certainly can't plan <clears throat> and now how about my, how my grandparents met and they were married my grandfather was a carpenter and a farmer he raised sheep because the steepness of his property lent itself to pasturing sheep and not really raising crops they had enough crop land to provide for their own food and they they stored, canned, preserved, salted everything to preserve their own food. And this was of course during the Great Depression and then on the heels of the Great Depression was World War II. World War II was a particular sadness to my mother's family. Her youngest uncle My grandfather's younger brother was killed in the Battle of the Bulge in 1944. And all these events of life shaped my mother and prepared my mother for her life as a pastor's wife. How to not only live a godly life during tragedy, but encourage and help those who were also suffering around her. Those events in her life were not wasted. In God's economy, they were used to help other people. But for the Lord, there's there's a phrase that my mother used often, but for the Lord, where would we be? These events could have altered her life in a very sad way, but she had become a Christian at about the age of 12. She told me that she was saved... Get ready, in a Methodist church. (laughs) They walked to the Mountain View Methodist Church, beautiful church, it's still there. If you have an opportunity to go in that area sometime, it's it's gorgeous. But when the weather was good, they would walk through an apple orchard and a cow pasture, And pop out at the Mountain View United Methodist Church. And that's where she heard the word of the Lord. And surrendered to the call of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you ask mom. Of course, her husband was a pastor of a Baptist church for 57 years. She would say she was a Baptist. But here's how it worked out. On rainy, cold, snowy days. They would drive the two miles into town. My grandfather owned cars, and trucks, but he never had a driver's license. He couldn't drive. Now, he could do anything with a horse, but he couldn't drive. But they would get a neighbor or one of the older children to drive into town to go to the Baptist church. But otherwise, they would walk to the Methodist church. Here's an interesting thing. In that area and in that time period, pastors kind of shared congregations. They shepherded and provided for each other. It was a cross-culture thing between the Methodist and Baptist in particular where they were jointly pastored. <clears throat> so when my, my uh, mother's uncle was killed in World War II, she was probably about 15 and again, it was the Lord who pr- provided and protected. Um, the The greater church community provided many things for her and her and her siblings. As a young child, my mother's eyesight was very bad, and they didn't realize it until you know here she is, middle middle child, older two older siblings, two younger siblings and she was hold she would hold her mother's dress as her mom walked and the other kids the older kids teased her about being a mama's girl kid couldn't see <laughs> so once she started to go to school they got her eyes examined and she had these big thick glasses and mom was always kind of self-conscious about those glasses until she had cataracts and had new lenses put in and wow, it was it was quite an experience for her. <clears throat> so, um, mom and dad got married in 1948. They were both 18 years old, and they immediately went to work in the local textile uh, industry. It was big in, in that day and era, in, in that in that area of, of Virginia, especially, and. Mom and dad's dream from the time they got married was to have a family, and they wanted to college educate that family. That was just their thing. They wanted, to, they wanted to have these children educated because that was something that they both had not had opportunity to go further with. My mother was a very bright student. She was a um, popular... Um, Person in school. She got to know everybody. She made lifelong friends. And when we go back to her little hometown, there's people that still will come up to me and say, Oh, your mom was such a wonderful person. And your mom was such an encouraging Christian. But they worked hard. Their goal, again, was to put us through school. And my brother and my sister and I all went to the same college. We graduated from Emory and Henry College. Anybody ever heard of that? Little small college in Emory, Virginia. And we, as far as I know, we still hold the record of having three siblings in college at the same time. My brother was a senior, I was a junior, and my sister was a freshman. So that's, that's that dream come true for our parents. Mom, <laughs> mom and dad were uh, married in 48, started building the house, working full time, planning for a family, the family didn't come, but the Korean War did. In the 1952, Dad was drafted, drafted into the Army, prepared to go into combat in Korea. Sent to where's Doug? Sent to Seattle, Washington, Fort Lewis, Washington. And the next place from Seattle, Washington, is the Far East my dad, very fortunately, God's providence again, looking back, it's easy to see, he was called out of a whole battalion and sent to Alaska. Two things my parents never stopped talking about the rest of their lives, because mom was able to join dad in Seattle after he had spent many months in Alaska. Dad never stopped talking about Alaska and Mom never stopped talking about Seattle. Here's these two little hillbillies from Virginia, 20 years old, 21 years old, and they're in a big city living in in an apartment and God is at work the whole time. God's divine providence saved Dad from going to Korea, saved him from possible... Uh, being killed in combat and gave them an opportunity to live in an area that was different and strange. But with the war behind them, Dad had completed his house, and again they prayed for a family. The family still didn't quite come, but they came pretty soon. But here's another part of that. If the family had come... When they wanted the family to come and had planned for the family to come, my brother and I went right into the Vietnam War. We'd have been just exactly the right age on the front end of the Vietnam War. But as it turned out, we were too young. I was a senior in high school when the draft ended. By the mid-60s, my father's pastoral ministry was in full swing. He and my mother balanced the church family and his job because he was a bivocational pastor. He pastored small churches. These churches were in the countryside. We had, I've got a lot of great memories could tell a lot of stories about growing up in church in the countryside. But mom and dad stretched their meager income a long way because they wanted to make sure those, three boys, those two boys and that girl went to college. They saved a lot of money. So what that meant was it was socks and underwear for Christmas. And vacations were spent with relatives and traveling with dad during the summer as he, was, as he often was invited to preach at various churches. I've been with my dad as we went to churches. The whole family would go. Tennessee, North Carolina, West Virginia... Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Maryland, Florida, and all over the place in Virginia. And that was quite an experience. I learned to love and hate fried chicken. <laughs> if you're a Baptist preacher's kid, you're going to see some fried chicken, let me tell you. But there's a Hebrew word for it. It's, it's this, fries nicely. That's, that's the Hebrew word. On one particular trip to a church in Pennsylvania, and and... My dad almost took, took this church way back when. We, uh, my brother and I were middle school age. And so we went to the service, and we were in the Sunday school class with the middle school boys. Well, all middle school boys think the same. So as soon as church was over, we ran outside, and I was delighted. They had a baseball field. And so all the boys got in this big circle around my brother and I. And I thought, well, I didn't think anything of it. This is how you choose sides. You choose up, and you've got a team, and you go out and you play baseball. And one kid stepped forward and looked at my brother and I, and he said, now talk. That's when I learned I had an Appalachian accent. These Pennsylvania boys were hearing two Virginia hillbillies from the Blue Ridge Mountains speak their native tongue. They were were quite impressed. There was another um, salient point in my upbringing as a preacher's kid. Mission trips. How many of you have been on a mission trip? How about a mission trip to Mexico? Okay, yeah. A mission trip to Mexico when you drove. My dad bought a brand new Buick. If you were a Baptist pastor in those days, you had to have a Buick, I'm telling you. You know, the Methodists would drive a Chevrolet. So, you had to have a Buick. And these Buicks were so big, they looked like a Tennessee river barge going up and over those hills. So, our mission trip to Mexico was in 1968. Three kids in the back of the car, 350 miles below the Mexican border from McAllen, Texas. You know, wow. One of the deacons and his family went along. So, they had their car, we had our car. This deacon, in particular, was a truck driver. He was an over-the-road truck driver. We left this little town in Virginia, drove all the way to McAllen, Texas without a map. There was hardly no interstates at that time, too. And so here we are. My mother was a nervous wreck. She was like, where do we turn? I don't know where the road is. What road number are we supposed to be on? I said, just trust the deacon. So there you go, deacons. Just trust the deacon. That's all you got to do. And this was a real cultural experience when we got to that Mexican border. Never, I'm a kid from the hills of Virginia. I've never seen a border before. But it was real easy getting across the Mexican border. I saw five dollars go out like that and we were in. It was harder getting back in the states than it was getting out. After we arrived at the missionaries compound and literally they had a compound we took a couple of days to rest and kind of you know, get get ready for the mission trip. So we went then and visited local. It was a pretty big city where we were. Huge, huge, you know, Catholic presence, big Catholic cathedrals. We'd never seen anything like that. We saw the local Christian church there, which was quite small, as you would imagine, but growing. And there were many churches planted throughout this city. But... We decided to go out and visit a new church plant in the Chihuahua Desert. What an experience. Well, we were going to camp out. Well, you got middle school boys, they love to camp out. They couldn't wait to camp out. So we got in a car, no air conditioning, and drove through the Chihuahuan Desert, and you couldn't roll the windows down because the dust would come in. It was like being in an oven. And we were suffering for Jesus, let me tell you. (laughs) We got to our camping spot, and why they picked this spot, I'm not really sure, because it didn't look any different than any other desert part that we had driven across. And so we set up our camp there, then we went over to visit the church, this little local new planted church. They were having a funeral. Never seen a funeral like this before. It looked like a a baby several days old laying on a little table with candles around it. My mother was terrified that we were going to be scarred for life. But I just loved the candles. That's the only thing I can really remember. It didn't really bother me, but it was quite an experience. This is what your kids get to do as preacher kids visiting missionaries. So we went back to our camping site, and a big fire was built right in the middle of the campsite. And all the girls and the moms, the ladies, they had their sleeping spot around the fire. And then the boys and the men were in a circle outside of them. I didn't realize at the time, but we were security. (laughs) The missionary and his oldest son were armed. Because they'd been to this spot before and had a bad experience. There were banditos out there in the Mexican desert. We didn't see any. We had a great time. I saw two little Mexican boys that would probably have been about my age. And they they had slings, not slingshots like we have in Tennessee, but real slings. They had two rabbits and a roadrunner. Pretty good shots with those things. <laughs> and that was their dinner. Um, so don't complain about your mission trip if you can't plug in your laptop or your hairdryer, okay? <laughs> Here's my closing remarks and application. And closing takes a while, so don't get too excited, all right? <laughs> Remember the three rules. Remember the three rules? The rule of the king. Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Rule two the, 2, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do you think that we had any conflict on a three-week mission trip to Mexico driving? There was tons of conflict. But guess what? We had to work it out. We had to work out our differences. We had to say, I'm sorry. We had to ask, would you please forgive me? We had to reconcile. These are concepts that we've gotten a long way away from. And I really want to call that to our attention. The golden rule says that if you would do unto others as you would have them do to you. My mother never let us forget that. I would come in complaining about my little friend at school or at church had said or done this. And she'd say, if you're going to be a friend, if you're going to have friends, you've got to be a friend. I got an amen here. The rule of the wise man. What's the rule of the wise man? To build your house on the rock. To make sure of your foundation. In these three rules, you will also find the essence of a Christian worldview. There's the essence of a Christian worldview as it pertains to a very important topic. If you've got your Bible, let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And I am closing. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. These are super familiar. And when you pray, of course, this is Jesus speaking. He's responding to the disciples who have asked him how to pray. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. How's He tell them to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Some of you may have learned that, forgive us our trespasses. And as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Just let that sit there for a second. You have to forgive. You have to forgive. You are going to be sinned against. I'm sorry to be the one that tells you that, but you will be sinned against. And you need to forgive and seek reconciliation. Verse 15 But if, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's heavy stuff, folks. This is heavy stuff. We need to always be quick to forgive. Slow to anger. Quick to forgive. Open for reconciliation. Seeking reconciliation. Do not let a bitter root take hold in your life. This is from Jesus' words on the Sermon from the Mount. On October, excuse me, on February the 2nd, 22nd, in 22, my mother left this earth and stepped into the presence of our Savior. Amen. Amen. Her earthly work was done, but it still impacts. It goes forward. And I'm sure that she heard the coveted words